Hello, my name is Charles Wright, and welcome to the Complete in Christ podcast, where we endeavor to fit the pieces of our lives together according to the Word of God. In this new series called Get Right Church and Let's Go Home, we're exploring the phenomenon where believers and non-believers have become disillusioned with the church because of their inability to reconcile their notion of what the church is and should be about with their observation of and experience within a local church body. Last episode, we explored different types of categories for church hurt. In this episode, we're going to talk about how the level within the church the hurt comes from affects the magnitude of the impact. So let's get to it. Last time, I introduced a way of thinking about church hurt using two different aspects, one being the kind or type of church hurt that's being experienced, and the second one being related to the level within the church the hurt was experienced at, ranging from a pew member all the way up to the pastor. The thought being that it would be helpful for the discussion to provide uh, context for the variation in the type, the severity, and impact of church hurt. The four categories for the types of church hurt that can be experienced that we discussed were legal, ethical, personal, and accountability. Recall also that these are categories that I created, meaning that I'm not referencing or citing some scholarly effort, and uh, and I'm sure that either more could be added, more categories, that is, more buckets could be added to classify church hurt, or that these could be subdivided to provide even more specificity or granularity. But at a high level, I believe that these categories cover the vast majority of the instances of church hurt. And for a more detailed explanation of each one of these, just check out the previous episode. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the second aspect, which is the level within the church the hurt was experienced. Or in other words, who was the source of the hurt that was experienced by an individual? As established previously in this series, the church is a mix of people. We talked about this very early on in the series, some who have been saved and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and then others who have not been saved and not regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And let's be honest, right? If we kind of think about this, when we take all churches into consideration across time and space, no matter where they are and when they existed, this distinction uh, ranges from the individual in the pew all the way into the leadership of the church. This distinction being uh, the distinction between saved and unsaved folks. Now, to be clear, while it is expected that those who are in attendance would be a mixed crowd of saved and unsaved, in other words, those who are in the audience sitting in the pews would be a mixed crowd of some who are saved and some who aren't saved. It isn't expected, right? This shouldn't be the case for leaders in the church. As a matter of fact, it is unbiblical to have non-believers in positions of authority and in positions of oversight in a church. These positions are meant to be held not just by a believer, but by a spiritually mature believer. For example, in his letter to Titus, uh, in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, Paul says that an overseer must be above reproach. They must be faithful to uh, their wife, a, a sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Uh, they must be able to teach. He must not be a drunkard, must be gentle, must not be quarrelsome, and, and cannot be greedy. It can't be a lover of money. And Paul basically tells Timothy 
the exact same thing. It's almost an identical list of qualities, not necessarily all in the same order, but as far as the substance and the content, it's almost the exact same list that Paul gives to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But then Paul actually also adds in his letter to Timothy that uh, an overseer must not be a recent convert. In other words, an overseer not only has to be all of those things that we just talked about in Titus's list, uh, that he must be faithful to his wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, gentle, not quarrelsome, and not greedy, but he also cannot be a recent convert to the faith, meaning that there must be some time that he's walked in uh, the faith that he has professed that he's learned about what it means to be a Christian. But if you think about it even further, especially some of the things that we talked about early on in this episode, or not in this episode, sorry, but in this um, series, is that an overseer who's not a recent convert has now walked some time and has given the Holy Spirit an opportunity to uh, begin the sanctification process, right? The the maturing process, the the getting out of the or getting rid of the old and bringing in the new process, the production of spiritual fruit, the love, the gentleness, the kindness, the understanding of what it means to be in fellowship with other believers and all of those things. Paul says that is important that amongst this list of qualifications, one of the things is, is that they cannot be a recent convert as well. Paul also lays out qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And he touches on many of the same qualities and characteristics that he lists for overseers as well. So if we look at uh, his list for overseers or for bishops or for elders and his list for deacons and, and those who kind of serve in ministry within the church body, There is no provision in Scripture for church leadership to be held by individuals who are not saved. There is no provision in Scripture for church leaders and those offices to be held by individuals who have not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and aren't being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. But to push it even further, there's not a provision in Scripture uh, for people who are saved, whose lives don't reflect their profession of faith, uh, either because of a lack of maturity or because of the newness in the faith, holding those positions either. And this is why it's it's such a, uh, we have to be so careful because in, in our world today, what we like to do is we like to see certain qualities in people and say, oh, you you should be a pastor or, or you should be a deacon or, or you should be an elder or you should be a ministry leader. And we have to ask ourselves, hey, the qualities that I'm seeing in this individual, one, Are they the qualities that Paul says I should be looking for? Because a lot of times what we do is we look for people who can speak eloquently, people who are um, really uh, charismatic, people who are really interpersonal, uh, individuals who are really comfortable operating within a crowd, even looking for folks who maybe have good leadership skills in the world, right? Whether they are holding a position at their job or they are holding some civic positions in the community. And what we end up doing is, is we take kind of a a, a list that is carnal, and, and by carnal, I, I'm not necessarily meaning that it's sinful, but carnal in that it's what we can see with our eyes and what we, with our fleshly minds and kind of human minds, think are good qualities. Oh man, you you know you can speak well, and oh man, uh, you've you've gotten a lot of degrees, and wow, you you uh, are a high up at your company, and and you lead all these 
nonprofits or or all these um, uh, extracurricular activities, you're you're in positions of leadership and those things, then therefore you must be a good candidate for these leadership positions within the church. And not that those are bad qualities to have. They actually enhance, in a lot of cases, the ability of leaders within the church. But the core foundational qualities that need to be looked for are these that Paul lists out. And the interesting thing is, or maybe the ironic thing is, is that while sometimes people can be elevated to leadership roles in the church without ever exhibiting these specific qualities that Paul lists out, once they've been put in the roles, the congregation, right, the laity then expects them to operate according to these scriptural guidelines. And so it's it's a weird phenomenon, but I think for most of us who have been in church long enough, we've seen instances or heard of instances where someone who did not exhibit any of these kind of characteristics ends up getting elevated into some type of leadership role. And then the expectation is, is that they begin to exhibit these kinds of characteristics. And I think what Paul is saying is, is that when it comes to who you place into these roles, they need to be people who are already producing this kind of fruit in their lives, not people that you hope will one day produce fruit in their lives, which is, again, why a recent convert is to be avoided for leadership positions in the church, because they haven't been walking with the Lord long enough to produce this fruit. And I think when we kind of take all of that in some total, right, and think about the fact that once they're in those roles, there's an expectation now that they actually live up to what Paul says leadership should be like in the church. This is why hurt that's experienced at the hands of a church leader is typically, not not always, but typically it is more impactful and more detrimental to the victim. Because generally speaking, in, in instances of church hurt, two things are occurring for the victim. One is the offense that has some sort of physical or mental or emotional or, or all of the above impact on them. And then the second thing that's happening to the victim is, is a much deeper impact, and it actually affects a victim's construct and expectation of what church is supposed to be and how church members are supposed to behave. And so there's something that's happening to them personally as an individual, physically, mentally, emotionally, or or all of the above. But then there's also something that's happening to their concept and their perception and their understanding and and ultimately their belief of what church is supposed to be about and how church members are supposed to behave. And the magnitude of this is oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes it's directly related to who in the church the hurt came from, right? Who is the offending party? For example, if an individual experiences hurt from a pew member, while the physical and the mental and the emotional impact may not be any less, the victim might be able to rationalize the situation as being attributable to the pew member behaving poorly and be able to then kind of isolate the pew member's actions from the overall position or overall condition of the church. In other words, the the victim of church hurt is able to segregate their experience and isolate their experience and make the distinction between the actions of an individual towards them versus assigning blame to an entire congregation or even to the church in general. However, this becomes more difficult if there is either repeated instances of hurt from various pew members, right? So if you can imagine one pew member does something to you, 
it's easier to kind of say, hey, this is just a bad apple. But if multiple Pew members uh, are affecting you or, or inflicting some type of hurt against you, then it's more difficult to kind of isolate that. And it's also more difficult in instances of hurt from leaders in the church. It, it, and let's kind of look at those two separately. It's, it's more difficult if it's repeated instances uh, from various Pew members, because if there's multiple individuals that are hurting uh, someone, then this might now be more indicative of a problematic culture within the church. It's easy to say, hey, this is just a bad apple. But if I keep running into bad apples, then obviously I begin thinking, well, maybe this is just a, a bad bunch, right? The, 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 the tree is now producing bad apples. And it's not just this one off. This isn't this person isn't an exception to the rule, but I may now be uh, discovering what the rule is within this local body. And on the other hand, if a leader within the local church has hurt or is hurting them, then they have what we mentioned before in kind of the broken and unmet expectations as they experience these behaviors from that individual leadership who is, and here's where it really, it becomes impactful, who is supposed to be spiritually mature, right? Like we said, even though we might not have always used Paul's list to select leaders in the church, once leaders, once people are elevated to leadership positions and within the church, we expect them to live up to Paul's list. And when that doesn't happen, now we've got these broken and unmet expectations. And it's coming from not just a pew member, but it's coming from someone who's supposed to be spiritually mature, who's supposed to be all of those things that Paul described to Timothy and to Titus. And let's just be frank, and it's not always the right way of thinking, but it it is at the core and at the base of a lot of the ways that we think is supposed to be better than us in, in a sense, right? You're You're supposed to be more spiritually mature. You're supposed to have a better understanding of God's word and how it applies. You're supposed to be much more spiritual than the rest of us. And so then when when I experience hurt at the hands of someone who is supposed to be better at this Christian thing than I am, then it begins to uh, mess with my, again, my construct, my understanding, my perception of what the church is and supposed to be. And so what we see developing, right, is a complex spectrum for assessing or categories, uh, categorizing, excuse me, church hurt that moves along multiple axes, depending on the type that is ethical, legal, personal or accountability. And it moves along the axes uh, depending on the level or the source of the offense. In other words, was the perpetrator a pew member, were they a ministry leader, a deacon, an elder or even the pastor? And, and this really creates a complex web of emotions within uh, within an individual and 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 a in a complex web of responses from individuals actually both sides of church hurt both parties in a given church hurt situation and we will explore some of the most common kind of emotions and responses in our next episode Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Complete in Christ podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode or series, you can send them to questions at completeinchristpodcast.org. Please include your name, where you're from, and the specific episode you're referencing. Also, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It gives us feedback that helps us to keep improving and provide some insight for those who may be listening for the very first time. Again, my name is Charles Wright, and until next time, be blessed.